the Titans to miss out on what should have all season a third straight AFC South title, which should not be taken for granted. I think it's foolish. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, Director of Published Content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. Happy Friday, everybody. We are one day away from the Titans' final regular season game of the year in Jacksonville in prime time on Saturday night. And we're talking all about it today. I hope you had a great week uh, at work, or maybe you're still off of work because of the holidays, or maybe... You're headed back to school soon because you're on Christmas break, whatever it may be. I hope it went well for you. It went well for me. Um, had a, a quick turnaround with the show between today's show and the show that came out yesterday morning, I suppose. Uh, plenty to talk about this week in terms of the Titans with what may very well be their last game of the year coming up. So we weren't going to bail on doing a Friday show. I uh, I got a haircut today, so that's what's new in my life. If you if you can see on the on the video, looks a little different. Let me know your thoughts. If you can't see, this is the perfect transition segue, if you will, into reminding you that this is a YouTube show that you can watch on Broadway Sports Media's YouTube page. Each and every episode, we have beautiful graphics, beautiful people, myself included. And uh, I'll be joined by some beautiful people later on in the show. Not joined by producer JT just yet, but he will be here with us for the news and our final regular season best bet gauntlet of the year at the end of the show. Also going to be joined by James Foster later in the episode. It's another James Foster Friday. We've got him back and James and I talk about everything from Trevor Lawrence ascendancy to Josh Dobbs and Malik Willis to how we think that this game is going to potentially pan out on Saturday night and uh, what the Titans may or may not look like in that game. So plenty to talk about, but here at the top of the show, I'd like to start with some some great news, and that's the DeMar Hamlin situation. Uh, we got confirmation today that DeMar does, in fact, have that dog in him because the uh, Buffalo Bills put out an official statement that read, per the physicians caring for DeMar Hamlin at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, DeMar has shown remarkable improvement over the past 24 hours. While still critically ill, he has demonstrated, and this is the most exciting part, that he appears to be neurologically intact. His lungs continue to heal, and he is making steady progress. We are grateful for the love and support we have received. That's the statement from the Bills on their rookie cornerback, Damar Hamlin, who, of course, collapsed on Monday Night Football against the Bengals just four days ago. Uh, we also got some news from the hospital itself. The University of Cincinnati Health Department had doctors say that last night is when DeMar first became awake again. And this is by last night, I mean uh, Wednesday night for when you're listening to this. He responded to questions and even asked via writing who won the game per doctors. I think it was even quoted as them responding to him saying, you won, DeMar, you won the game of life because you, you kind of stole an extra life here. He really shouldn't be alive today, but it looks like he's going to... Uh, make it and make a recovery or maybe that's wishful thinking on my part but it, it sure seems to be trending in the right direction it's also been reported that he has movement in his hands and feet so not only does he appear to be neurologically intact which is the primary concern whenever you have an extended period of time without blood flow to your brain but also do you have 
mobility? Do you have the, uh, the, the full faculties physically that you, that you had beforehand? It seems like he's going to uh, be able to recover physically to some extent. Uh, we'll find out more, I suppose, as he continues to get better. He was also made aware of how much his charity has raised, which and this number may be outdated by the time you're listening to this. In fact, it probably will be. But last I checked, it was north of $7 million, a fundraiser that set out to raise $2,500 in the first place, which is uh, a slight, slight uh, overkill. I guess overkill is the wrong word. A slightly uh, higher total than he was expecting to make in the first place, which is an awesome story to have come out of what was such a scary situation. Speaking of situations, uh, it's a little bit easier to talk about the logistics that the NFL is having to work through now because we know that DeMar is at least all right for, for this moment. The Bills-Bengals game that was canceled on Monday night as a result of the scary injury, it sounds like it's not going to be resumed from what we're hearing, uh, some reporting done by the AP we're expecting an official announcement shortly, and by the time you're listening to this on Friday or Saturday, we may already have that announcement, so this may be old news to you. But it does raise the question, how do you make the playoffs fair from here? An idea that Albert Breer brought up on Twitter that I found pretty interesting, and it sounds like it's an idea that the NFL front office at Park Avenue in New York is discussing with teams and has some real traction, is the idea that they're going to do seeding for the playoffs by win percentage with the AFC title game in a neutral site somewhere. If seeding between the two teams in that championship game is, you know, affected by the Bills Bengals game that was canceled, that game could be held at a neutral site. Indianapolis is the, the team that he threw out there or the stadium rather that Albert Breer threw out as being floated as one of the potential sites um, that, that, that could be used in that case. It was also reported today by Adam Schefter, I believe, he was hearing that the NFL may be considering a compromise between the first and the second seed, because here's the situation, folks. If the Chiefs beat the Raiders this weekend, as they're expected to do, assuming the Bills-Bengals game doesn't get rescheduled and the Bills finish with one fewer game played on, on their season, it's going to be the Chiefs, technically, in the driver's seat to get the one seed. They're going to earn the one seed this weekend, and that's not really all that fair because the Bills, if they had beaten the Bengals and then beat the Patriots in week 18, as they will likely do this weekend, they would have been the one seed. And so the compromise that was floated by Adam Schefter, and he was reporting this as if it was something that he had heard from Park Avenue in New York, from the NFL head offices, the NFL may consider a compromise between the one and the two seed in the AFC in such that the one seed gets the choice between home field advantage throughout the playoffs or they could choose to get a bye during the first week of the playoffs, a bye during the wild card weekend. And whichever they don't choose, that advantage would be afforded to the two seed. And so you could see the Chiefs as the one seed get a bye in the first week of the playoffs. But if they were to meet the Bills in the AFC championship game, the Bills would get the home field advantage or vice versa. If the Chiefs were to get the one seed and choose to have the home field advantage and play on wildcard weekend. And so that's that's the proposal that sounds the most fair to me, considering the fact that the game is likely not going to be played at this point. I don't think it's the most likely scenario. I think that ultimately what Albert Breer floated 
doing the seeding by win percentage and having a neutral site ready to host if the Bills or Bengals make it to that championship game. I think that's the most likely scenario at this point. And again, by the time you're listening to the sound of my voice, you may already have an official answer from the NFL on this. Hopefully not. Hopefully I'm not blathering on and wasting your time. But that's where we are right now with this wonky AFC playoff picture that has resulted at the worst possible time. But again, they they had to cancel that game and we're hopeful that DeMar is going to make a recovery. It sounds like he's doing pretty well. So I, I think that the chaos from earlier in the week surrounding the NFL for a couple of days may finally, the dust may finally be settling here, which is good news. Another thing I wanted to talk about here at the top of the show is the rooting interests in this game. Now, we've been talking yesterday on the show and today, as well as throughout Nashville media this week. Are you rooting for the Titans to win and win the division for the third straight time and make it into the playoffs with Josh Dobbs? Or are you rooting for the Titans to lose and get a ninth or 10th overall draft pick in this upcoming draft? And people are very split on this. Something that I found interesting that I wanted to bring up is, and this was a tweet, I want to give credit where it's due because this isn't an idea I had thought of until it was brought up by an account that follows me, and I follow them back, I believe, at Titans Therapy tweeted, a list of all of the top 10 draft picks the Titans organization has ever made. Here's the list of the players the Titans have had. It looks like seven picks in the top 10. Been some rough years there. Um, and these are the, the the players that they drafted in the top 10 or higher. Pac-Man Jones, Vince Young, Jake Locker, Chance Warmack, Marcus Mariota, Jack Conklin, and Corey Davis. I'll read that list again. Pac-Man Jones, Vince Young, Jake Locker, Chance Warmack, Marcus Mariota, J- Jack Conklin, and Corey Davis. Not exactly a Hall of Fame ballot top to bottom. These are guys that many of them didn't pan out. The Vince Youngs, the Jake Lockers, the Chance Warmacks. You had a handful of them pan out, but they weren't top 10 overall draft picks in Pac-Man Jones and Marcus Mariota and Corey Davis. And then the only guy you might could argue was worth the first overall pick or first uh, first round pick in the top 10 rather is Jack Conklin. And he's a guy that never saw a second contract in Tennessee because John Robinson traded him away and ultimately failed to replace him. That is all to say the top 10 in the NFL draft is a nice place to be in terms of getting the very top end talent, but it is far from a guarantee and especially frankly, far from a guarantee with this organization, given their track record of drafting guys that weren't worth a top 10 overall pick. I, I get frustrated every year and I don't know why I allow myself to, to waste energy getting frustrated over this because it's just a matter of nature. I think it's always going to be this way. There's no changing it, but it's true. People this time of year and in the coming months, it will only grow. The perception of the NFL draft becomes this thing that isn't, a trip to the gas station to buy a handful of lottery tickets. And that's what the draft ultimately is. It is a total crapshoot. It is a lottery scratcher that you are hoping will turn out good enough to at least make your money back on it. If not hit the jackpot and you will hit the jackpot from time to time, but it's far from a guarantee. This track record of Titans picking in the top 10 
being so poor is a microcosm that I think fairly demonstrates the fact that banking on draft picks for your future success is foolish outside of drafting a top, top, top of the league, uh, high end quarterback very early on in the draft. There's really not a whole lot of can't miss guys. Uh, and, and even can't miss guys going into every draft. I'd imagine a number of these guys that the Titans have drafted in the top 10 overall going in were can't miss guys and they missed. It happens. That's how the draft works. It's how player evaluation works. It's how in the NFL where you land matters. If you go to a team that stinks, even if you're a player that has incredible potential, you got a big chance that you might just stink. You, you got to go to a place that fits your play style, is going to utilize you correctly, is going to develop you well within their system. And even then, you got to have some luck on your side. That's just the matter. Or that's the nature of the matter. And so this idea that losing this game for the chance to have a number nine or over, number 10 overall pick, losing this game and allowing the Jaguars to gloat and dance on your graves, losing this game and allowing the Titans to miss out on what should have all season been a third straight AFC South title, which should not be taken for granted. I think it's foolish. And, and that's kind of a, a transition into what I wanted to talk about on this subject. Next, there's been, and I tweeted this out earlier, I think a day or two ago, there's been a whole lot of debate between Titans fans this week as to what the rooting interest should be. And, and again, I've made my position clear, Right you should never take a division title or a playoff berth for granted ever. You, you can't take what would be if the Titans win this game, the first time in their franchise history, winning the AFC South in three consecutive years for granted. We've talked about this on the show. When you get into the playoffs, you have a chance. Everybody has a chance. Whoever gets a foot in that door has a shot. That's the nature of the NFL. It's the beauty of the NFL, in my opinion. So you can't take these things for granted. I mean, the Tennessee Titans went 15 years at one point, I believe, without making a, uh, well, maybe not without making a, a playoff appearance, but without winning a division title. So, so taking one for granted now, I think, is a matter of serious recency bias and, frankly, serious privilege in terms of fans getting really used to a lot of success in recent years under, yes, John Robinson and under Mike Vrabel. But here is what I think the compromise should be, and I think that this is a, a point that many fans are missing. I think it's a forest that people are missing for the trees. This game should be a win-win situation for the Titans. Why are you arguing? You win the game. You totally punk the Jaguars. You get to laugh about how Josh Dobbs beat Trevor Lawrence, which is objectively hilarious. You get to see the Jaguars fail once again and all of those fans that have been rabid on social media in recent weeks about how they finally have a guy at quarterback and their coach is in lead and they're going to be the next big thing in the AFC. You see all of those people crawl back into their hidey holes where they've been for the past two decades. And you get a chance to win a playoff game and make a run, yes, with Josh Dobbs in the playoffs, which should never be taken for granted, and you win your third straight consecutive third consecutive AFC South championship, the first time you've ever done it in franchise history. It's great. It'd be great if they won this game. I think that you should be rooting for them to win this game. 
But if they don't, if they lose, it's still a good thing. They get a top 10, maybe even ninth overall draft pick, and the future of the franchise is as bright as it can be after a pretty dreadful year. There's no reason not to see the clear and objective positives that can come out of both outcomes of this game, whether the Titans win or lose, and refuse to see them for what they are, positive. I think that Titans fans, my advice to Titans fans this week is that you should choose to see this glass as half full and not half empty. Choose to be happy with the truly positive outcome of this game, whatever it may be. And with that, we're going to get into some Titans news with producer JT, who will be joining me as soon as we cut over there. But before we get to that, I need to remind you that if you are not a Broadway insider, you should be. Becoming a Broadway insider is so easy. You just go to the website, go to the More tab on the homepage, go down to Broadway Insider, sign up today. It's just 99 cents for your first month, and you're going to get access to some awesome things, like the live taping of this show. More often than not, in the upcoming weeks and months as we get into the draft season, and trust me, we've got some really, really exciting plans for this draft season. If you joined us last year around that time when I was hosting the show with James Foster, we had a lot of awesome guests on. We're going to plan to do that again as well. I've got plans to have James on a good bit. That's still in the works as to how often he can be on the show, but we're going to have him. It's going to be bigger and better than it was, and it's going to be, and I'm willing to say this, I think it's going to be your number one source for draft talk in the Nashville media market this spring. It's going to be that serious and that good. So I'm super excited for that. And you're definitely going to want to have an insider pass to be able to listen to those shows as they're being recorded live, ask questions in our Q and A's during the recording of the show, ask questions of some of our special guests, guys from PFF and the ringer and some awesome national media names that, you know, who we had on last year that we're looking forward to having on again this year. You're going to get all of those opportunities as well as get the full Mike Herndon show, get all of our early access articles, get access to our premium articles, get access to our fantasy uh, games behind the scenes where you can earn cash and earn your money back. And then some, these are things that you can only get if you're a Broadway insider. So go and become one today, just 99 cents for your first month. When you use code insider, use code annual and get your first month for just 49.99. All right. It's, it's been a while since I did a full throated pitch of the Broadway insider membership on the show. So we had to get that out of the way. Now I'm going to welcome in producer JT, we're going to get into some Titans news. All right, it's time for the Titans news. Producer JT, you are here and ready to go. How are you? I'm good. Finally joining and hopping on the show for this Friday morning. You're excited to be here. Yeah, let's get into the Titans news. Yeah, let's run it down here, starting with that injury report. Let's see who's out, who's questionable, and who's going. First of all, we're going to start with the people who are confirmed to be playing, and it's a bunch of guys finally getting back to hopefully fully healthy for this team. We have outside linebacker Tyrell Basham. We have Jeffrey Simmons, Danico Autry, Derek Henry, and Josh Thompson all have no injury designation. Man, those for... middle three guys you mentioned, pretty important. They are very important to this team here, and they're looking like they're good to go. There's only one person who won't be able to go in this game already that we know of, and that's going only to be one? cornerback Devontae Harris with a hamstring. He will not be playing in this game. And that leaves us with a bunch of guys who are up in the air looking 
like 50-50 to go in this game, and that is going yep. to include, of course, linebacker Dylan Cole, cornerback Kristen Fulton, safety Amani Hooker, tackle Nicholas Petit-Friere, and then, of course, wide receiver Traylon Burks-Easton. What's your read on a couple of these guys and if they will be good enough to go in this final game of the NFL regular season? So the guys that, you know, these questionable guys, first of all, before I I give my impression of who may or may not play, they're really the crux of the situation here. We live in this weird Titans multiverse all of a sudden where they only have one person unavailable to play. Crazy. If only that could have happened, you know, any of the other 17 weeks of the season. But, but these questionable guys are really the key because there's so many important ones on the list as questionable to play. Traylon Burks, Christian Fulton, Monty Hooker, NPF. Th- these guys matter a ton to the Titans' chances in this game. And my general guess, what's confusing to me is we saw a Monty Hooker as a, with a knee, a knee injury, limited participant on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then suddenly a DNP on Thursday and is listed as questionable. You know, if you'd asked me yesterday before Thursday's final practice of the week, I would have said that between Fulton and Hooker, Hooker was the guy I was pretty confident would be back. And I'd not gotten any indication that he was a real concern for this weekend. But now I have no idea whether or not, you know, his Thursday practice was just a load management thing or if there was some kind of setback. I still feel like Fulton and Hooker are the two on this questionable list that are most questionable, most uh, likely to potentially not end up playing just because they've both dealt with so much significant injury misfortune this season. And with Burks, you, you have to hope that they're just resting him on this Thursday practice after being listed with that groin midweek. If it's more serious than that, the Titans have more than just questionable problems on their injury report. Um, So, yeah, I I think NPF and Burks are the ones that probably end up going and Hooker and Fulton are more of a toss up in my mind. Move over and talk about a guy coming back this week in Derrick Henry, who only needs 71 rush yards and two rush TDs in week 18 to set the record for most seasons in NFL history with 1,500 plus rush yards and 15 plus rush TDs. Henry already has two seasons like that in his career in 2019 and 2020. And let me tell you that the other six players that he is tied with for this record right now, maybe some people that you might know and Uh, Hall of Famer Jim Brown, Hall of Famer Emmett Smith, Hall of Famer Terrell Davis, Sean Alexander, Larry Johnson, and of course, Derrick Henry. So some rare company to be in. Yet another thing that Derrick Henry can add to his, yes, Hall of Fame resume. It's going to be a a standalone record if he does that. And listen, against the Jaguars, it's all but possible that he's going to uh, have a day against them he had almost 100 rushing yards in the first quarter of the game that they played earlier this season before things got out of hand and they only rushed him I believe four times in the second half but yeah I think that this is a very very attainable goal and I kind of expect that Henry will reach it one final thing here in the news let's talk about the Titans rushing defense and how it currently ranks second in the NFL opponents have totaled only about 1,288 rushing yards against this team through 16 games for an average of 80 and a half yards per game. At this pace, they can finish the season with the third best rushing defense 
in franchise history. So it looks like hopefully we might find a little bit more of that magic when we were comparing them to the 85 Bears and the likes of that earlier this season. That's right. In, in the rushing department, they absolutely have been one of the best defenses, the, the third best on pace to be defense that the Titans have ever had. And uh, the the second, did you say second rushing defense in the league this season? So yeah, they've Correct. been fantastic. Yeah, they've, they've been very, very good. And, uh, you know, if they if they lose to the Jaguars, it won't be because of the rushing defense. I'm confident in that. All right, it's a Friday, and that means we've got James Foster Fridays back and ready to roll. James is here with us of, uh, of course, A to Z Film Room. James Foster, how are you, my man? Doing great. How are you doing? Doing great. Talking about the Titans today, uh, we got roughly uh, 40-ish hours until kickoff tomorrow evening when people are listening to this on a Friday. And I want to talk to you a little bit about, um, you know, I'm sure it's not been awfully exciting to watch the Titans as much as you would like to on film in the past couple of weeks, but uh, I'm sure you have some thoughts on last week, what Josh Dobbs came in and was able to do for this Titans team that Malik Willis hadn't demonstrated an ability to do. Talk me through your thoughts on Dobbs's first NFL start. Yeah, I I think, looking at it just, you know, purely in isolation, evaluating Josh Dobbs. Um, I don't think there's anything there. I mean, he still had four turnover worthy plays, right. uh, you know, and so I, I don't think that he's the future or anything. He pretty much came in and operated some, you know, simple concepts was able to deliver the ball accurately, but I think it just really offers such a stark contrast to what Malik Willis was able to do when he was in there. And um, no kidding, you know, the fact that a, a relatively pedestrian quarterback performance is, you know, looks so impressive in um, in comparison to what we've seen from Malik Willis. I don't think that bodes well for his for his long term uh, future. Well, when I was thinking about this performance and what because, you know, watching it, it clearly looked and felt different than what we'd been seeing from Malik Willis. And uh, in in sitting, trying to think about how I would quantify that, the thing that kept coming back to mind for me was it was so much more decisive, uh, his quarterback play. I felt like he was doing the bare minimum of what the offensive coordinators and coaches were asking him to do. It kind of felt like a Mike White, Zach Wilson situation to me Mm -hmm. in the sense that you get a guy that comes in who's super limited but he at least tries to play within the system, run the plays as they're designed and keep everything on schedule. And that's not really something that we saw Malik Willis do a whole lot. He was really indecisive. There were times when he'd be scrambling around and, and you'd be watching the game saying, throw, throw the ball, throw the ball, get rid of the ball. And he just wouldn't. Um, that was something that Josh Dobbs was at least able to do is keep the game on schedule and run the plays as they're designed. Was that kind of the main thing for you? Or was there other things that he did that you thought this is different than what we've seen from Malik Willis? Yeah, I mean, just based on the number of times that Mike Vrabel has mentioned operational stuff, I assume that there was a lot of a lot of things going on behind the scenes, um, just within the execution of the offense that Malik Willis probably wasn't doing up to their standard, I guess. And um, you know, Josh Dobbs seems to have offered an improvement in that area. But yeah, I mean, it's it's just the ability to make a single read, like recognize off coverage and hit an out route, you know, Um, it's, it's, it's really, I don't know. It's 
with with a player like Malik Willis, who his college offense was just really nothing like an NFL offense, especially one um, like Tennessee's that attacks the middle of the field and runs so much under center. Um, there was always supposed to be an adjustment. I mean, I said in my video for Malik Willis that I don't think he should start year one. And, yep. you know, I wasn't just filling up space. Like I, I'm just, I compared the stuff that he was running at Liberty to the stuff that Tennessee runs. And I'm like, okay, he's going to have to learn the entire playbook from scratch, basically. Um, you know, so early in the season, I think the struggles were to be expected and, um, you know, it, it didn't really affect my outlook, but the expectation within someone's rookie season is that over the course of the year, they improve and they fix the issues that they were struggling with at the beginning. And there just has not been at least sustained improvement for Malik Willis. I think, I, I still think the chiefs game was the yes. best non Tannehill quarterback game from the Titans this year. Um, and that's one of the reasons that, you know, you can't just do this box score scouting thing because mm -hmm. I don't, he, he didn't have a hundred yards passing in that game, but I mean, he had, he was, you look at like the pass interference calls, the drops, like he was making big time throws yes. all over the field. Um, and then it kind of fell apart in that last drive, but you know, he, he was never able to build on that, on that performance. And, um, you know, ultimately they, the Titans just decided to go with someone that could, um, maybe get them into the playoffs. Well, that's the perfect segue into what I wanted to talk about next, and that's to do a little Malik retrospective with you. You're the person uh, that I've spoken to on the topic of Malik Willis more than anybody by the nature of us hosting the entire pre-draft show on this feed. Last spring, we did a lot of talk about Malik Willis well before we even considered him as a potential Tennessee Titan. And we kind of came to the conclusion back in May or, or March or whenever that this is a guy that's going to need at least one year to, to develop and probably more that he's a massive project. He's got some upside, but he's going to be really, really rough around the edges. And it's going to take some serious time for her to, for him to ever even reach the potential of a potential uh, of a future starter. If he does it all right. And so that's kind of been my thought this week, as people have talked about how, you know, Mike Vrabel may be out on Malik Willis in general, a lot of the fans seem to be out on him after that rough Texans performance. And my point essentially is that I, I think being out on Malik Willis right now is a reflection of people's poor expectations from the start. I think that you shouldn't really be all that out on Malik Willis right now, or at least I'm not because my expectations for him were that he was probably going to be really bad for a full year, if not two. And if he did become a starting level quarterback, it would be multiple years down the road. What are your thoughts on, you know, now being the right or wrong time to fully be out on Malik Willis as a guy that could develop? I would probably be out on Malik Willis if I was the Titans front office. Um, ultimately you're just, you're playing the numbers game and you're looking at range of outcomes and, you know, from a player's performance that they've put on film, you know, you can see the beginning of the line of the slope, and then you're right. trying to project where that development trajectories, how that's going to continue for the next four to five years. 
and you know Malik Willis the starting point okay was not NFL ready and then we're a year you know ha- however much you want to quantify full it, you know full right. season in and you still haven't seen that um you know really any improvement I'm I'm working on a Kenny Pickett video uh so right. I, I'm comparing um I was looking at some numbers from rookie quarterback seasons mm-hmm. and there have been 37 rookie quarterback seasons since 2015 with at least 75 dropbacks and seven quarterbacks have had a PFF grade of 50.0 or lower Paxton Lynch, Deshaun, mm. Ke- Deshaun Kaiser, mm. Dwayne Haskins, rest in peace, Josh Rosen, Jared Goff, Malik Willis, and Jake Luton. Malik Willis is at second lowest with 39.8, you know? Um, yeah. So like just to kind of, and it, you know, that's not just like a cherry pick stat. I'm, I've been going through all the numbers and he's, you know, bottom second to last, whatever, in pretty much every metric, um, you know, just to kind of put it into context, like he, the performance just really has not been um, anywhere good enough to say that, you know, he's, like, is this a player that's worth continuing to invest in? Because what what is there that he's shown um, that would that would say that he's going to start improving next offseason, you know? Um, well, and my argument isn't so much that they should be putting him on the top line of their future plans or even really an argument from the standpoint of a front office. I could understand the Titans front office wanting to move on um in a sense but i guess my point is from a just observing the player himself and and watching his trajectory through his nfl career wherever he may be playing i i I just think it's i think it's a little foolish to be out on his potential to eventually improve even after a very bad first year um i guess essentially because i expected his first year to be very bad through and through so maybe that's Maybe that's my own expectations being well, too low for him. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Like I, I have not really been disappointed by the way he's played. Right. Say, you know, cause I was not really expecting, expecting it to it. look that good. Um, but the thing is, you know, it's a third round pick and you look at it from the standpoint of a new general manager, he didn't draft him. Um, you know, you've got, a I, Mike Hernan made this point where it's like every team in the NFL had a third third round grade or lower basically on Malik Willis, you know, because mm-hmm. they didn't take him in the first two rounds. Yeah. And it's not like he's done anything this year that would improve his draft stock. So number one, you know, no one's going to, no one really wants to trade for him. Right. And any GM that's going to be coming in from the outside is they're not going to just be like, Oh, He's not there. Guy. Saying, what if what if the new GM loves Malik Willis? It's like there were no GMs where, where, out there. That where, where was yeah. he? Yeah. Um, I think well, what you do, I think I, what you do is if if Ryan Tannehill's on the roster, right? Um, yes, this is what you I was know. Say. So if you draft a if you draft a rookie quarterback in the first round, obviously he's on the roster, right? Um, if you draft if you re-sign Ryan Tannehill, obviously he's on the roster. If one of those two, the rookie quarterback or Ryan Tannehill, is not on the team, then you have Josh Dobbs and Malik Willis, I think, um, and you know whoever else you want to bring in 
battle it out in um, in training camp. And you know, if Josh Dobbs like plays plays well against Jacksonville, even gets us into the playoff, like if he looks um, like a competent backup, right? And you know, he looks good in camp. Um, there's you know, there's more to the QB two position than potential starter. There's sure. you know. You want to have it's a, not a just quality, a stash. Spot, you want to have a right. quality, reliable backup. Um, well, and that's why I think. But the, then, the correct but then obviously, like, just for them to let him like, see what he is next next August, give him a chance right, to yeah. make that leap, right? Because I'm I'm already hearing talk from people like Zach Lyons and Mike Herndon on their shows talking about how he may be cut before training camp next year, and I just don't understand that logic. You got to give him a chance to battle yeah. it out and make the roster. Now, if he doesn't make the roster come September, that's understandable. Yeah, I don't think you cut him before training camp um, just because, like, the talent is still there. The arm talent exactly. is there um, and obviously the mobility. So, yeah, I mean, I think you give him, uh, obviously, a training camp to prove it. Um, and I think even, let's say, let's say you remove Josh Dobbs from the picture. Let's say right. that he flames out. Um, and then you bring Logan Woodside back. Like, I don't think you... I don't think you Heaven forbid. Uh, keep Logan Woodside over or a similar kind of quarterback over Deshaun Kaiser, right? Because with Malik, you know, there's at least I think as a as a backup, he at least gives you that floor of rushing ability if yep the, if the the coordinator is willing to use him correctly. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I I still think there's a, a long shot you know chance there and. Um, just the way that you stash and accumulate talent on your roster, there's there's no way I could see him not being one of the 90 best players that they have um, right. come August. But yeah, I think, uh, I, I don't know. I, I really don't think it's it. looking good for him. Uh, no, it as doesn't far as look like, good. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Let's Let's transition to a team that's been more fun to watch for the past month or so. The Jaguars have looked like they've finally put it together. Doug Peterson has that team especially on offense humming recently trevor lawrence seems to have arrived um i wanted to ask we could take this wherever you want to take it but i want your thoughts on what you've seen from the jaguars in the past three or four or five games and uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about trevor lawrence seemingly arriving as the prospect he was billed as yeah i mean i think i was i remember uh, I came on this show and predicted the Jaguars to beat the Titans last time back, you, you know, before the season had fallen apart. Um, uh, it was, and that, that's because already, that's because was already Trevor Lawrence was um, Trevor Lawrence was in the midst of breaking out. And I just think this offense with Doug Peterson um, and, you know, Trevor Lawrence is just so decisive and accurate. Um, I think that, it's going to take 10 or 11 wins to, to win the AFC South, you know, for the next 10 years, unless, unless he gets injured or something. Um, I don't know that obviously there's, there's a a lot that still has to play out at this point. I don't see the Jaguars as this dominant roster with a ton of young talent that's about to take over. Um, Tyson Campbell is a player that I really like. Um, you know who else do they have that's like a young good player? Uh, Jawan Taylor, they're about to pay. Travis Etienne's a running back. 
Um, Doesn't count, right? I forgot. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you Congrat know, it's like they have they have right, interesting pieces, but in terms of like premier young players, it's really Josh Trevor. Allen would be another one. Ah, uh, Josh Allen's kind of falling off in your mind. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, he's he's solid. He's like above average, but it's really like two premier young players on rookie contracts. So I and and Trent Balky, you know, he took Trayvon Walker. He is he's, still the guy in charge. He is still the person making those picks. And so, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think that the division is going to be out of reach or anything because the Jaguars are just this juggernaut, but I, they are going to be a consistent, you know, wild card divisional round threat with, with Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. No, I agree. And I think that you're, you're spot on about, people getting a little bit over their skis with this Jaguars roster being a juggernaut. I, I I think they just have aced two of the, I mean, number one and number two, most important things on your team, your head coach and your quarterback. And if you have those things, right, everything else can be a disaster and you can stay afloat. So I think that their floor is really, really high now. Um, kind of similar in, in the in the way to how the Titans have been for a couple of years now with a solid play from Ryan Tannehill and, and Mike Vrabel. Um, and a lot of things falling around, falling apart around them. Last question before we get you out of here. Um, talking about this game in particular, we, we obviously know that there's going to be a, a massive mismatch on the quarterback front. Um, there's a, a couple of things that go in the Titans' favor in terms of added rest. Um, you could argue that Mike Vrabel is a coaching advantage over the Jaguars, but it, it's marginal, I think. It, it, I, I don't have to ask you to know that you think the Jaguars are the likely winner of this game because they are the likely winner of this game. But you mentioned how you don't think that their roster is as solid as some folks make it out to be. The Titans around their quarterback position are getting some help back, especially on the defensive side of the ball. This is the healthiest the defense is going to look in a long time. Um, and I'm aware that you don't pay attention to injury reports. So if you need some help knowing who is and isn't playing this week, I can help you there. What do you think about this matchup as a whole? And if the Titans do stand a chance, what does it look like? Yeah, I think it's actually, you know, like you said, it, the Jaguars are not a dominant team They're, I mean, they're a better team than the Titans, I think, right. objectively. Um, but yeah, the, the talent uh, disparity is just not really there to where um it, I, to where like I couldn't see the Titans winning. I would put it maybe 25, 30% chance of the Titans right. winning because the Jaguars game, the the first Jags game wasn't as big of a landslide as the score indicated turnover fest. Yeah. Like the Titans have this insane ability to make, create the most like back breaking drive, killing penalties every yes. single game. Yep. Um, and you know, that kind of stuff and like fumbles, not even, not even really turnovers where it's like the players are bad. You know, if it's you if, think if that your quarterback, Derek if your quarterback fumble throws, on the long run where he right, the guy if your quarterback gets throws four interceptions in a game, it's not really like oh, you know, turnovers losses. It's like no, our quarterback sucks. Exactly. But, you know, if you have like fumbles and the kick return, like I, I don't even, I don't know if there was a kick return fumble, but that you know that sort of shit. Mm -hmm. um, it's not. It, it doesn't really say much about how good of a team you are. And so, um, yeah, you know, obviously you've got. Jaguars on the um you know in Jacksonville so that that plays a factor but I would go I would still go with the Jaguars but I don't think that it's it's uh 
you know, out of out of the world that the Titans would win this game. All right, James, we appreciate your time and uh, we'll have you on again soon. We'll definitely have you on again next week. If, if the Titans can manage a win in Jacksonville, tell the folks what you've been working on lately so that they can go check out your content. Yeah. A to Z film room on YouTube. Just, uh, just posted a Will Levis film breakdown yesterday and a James Houston film breakdown, 82 pass rushing snaps and eight sacks as a rookie. Will Um, Levis is your QB. What in this draft? Four. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll let, I'll let people at home guess who the three ahead of him are. I'm excited to get into draft season and all of that, but uh, hopefully the Titans can, can make at least one memorable performance here at the end of the year before they go blissfully into that dark, dark night. All right, James, have a good one. We'll talk to you again soon. Have a good one. It's time to get into, we'll just seamlessly transition here, JT, directly into my favorite segment of the entire week. It's the best bet gauntlet. We are coming into our final week of the year, JT, and after last week, things tightened up. All of a sudden, things are, you know, still, I'm still the favored team here, but it's not impossible that we see a JT miracle. I ended up going one and four last week, and JT, what did I tell you before we recorded the best bet gauntlet last week? What did I say? You said it wasn't your best week to be going up against I said, yeah, I said it was my least prepared that I'd ever been for a best bet gauntlet and frankly it showed i kind of mailed it in and i apologize to everybody this that was not my best work went one and four last week overall still making money though 43 38 and four gonna finish on a strong 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 week this week and i'm guaranteed to finish above 500 unless i literally go 0 and 5 which isn't happening i'm going 5 and 0 <laughs> on the other side of the ball jt ended up going the inverse 4 and 1 last week a very good and desperately needed performance by him he's back above 500 for what like the second time all year good job jt i can't <laughs> think it's been more than that maybe okay so maybe i'm exaggerating but the point is yeah. he's back above 500 and two games above 500 that is that is rarefied air 41, 39, and 5, and he's looking to finish on a very strong note here. We can both finish making money, and listen, ultimately, that's what we want from the show. We want to be making money, and this year we have been, baby. It's coming down to the wire, and I am only, uh, what, two and a half games ahead of you right now? So, so yep. it's certainly possible if if we go another 4-1, and 1-4 one, one and four week, or even, heaven forbid, a 5-0 and oh, or an 0-5 oh in there, uh, you could sweep the rug from under my legs, and I could be depressed for the rest of my life <laughs> it's not gonna happen though and because i had such a dreadful week last week i get our first pick is that right yes that is all right so with my first overall pick in the week 18 final regular season week of the best bet gauntlet i'm taking the tennessee titans baby it's where i started the best bet gauntlet at the very beginning of the year and it's where i'm finishing give me tennessee plus six and a half at jacksonville you know the drill on this one we've talked about it all week long the Jaguars won the turnover battle the last time that they played four to nothing. And we talked about it in that show post game, as well as we're talking about it right now. That is all you need to know for the most part in most circumstances when you're trying to figure out who won a game, the rest of the game, there were things that went wrong and and other reasons you can point to for why the Titans lost. But ultimately when you lose the turnover battle four to nothing, you lose football games. That's bound not to happen again in this one, Vrabel, another thing we've been talking about all year long, 
is 21 and 9 against the spread as an underdog of three or more points as he is in this one. So it's been an auto bet in his career whenever Vrabel is favored, or excuse me, whenever Vrabel's opponent is favored by a field goal or more, you bet Vrabel. This is one of those spots. This is the healthiest the Titans team has been in a very long time. And they've been prepping. Let's be real, guys. They've been prepping for a full two weeks at this point. They didn't do a whole lot of Cowboys prep last week. They've been looking forward to this Jacksonville game probably since they lost in the first place, but definitely for the past two weeks. Another big point here, this total was under 40. Last I checked, it was a 38 or 39 point total. When you've got an almost touchdown spread in a 40 or fewer total, you have to take the dog. Those are way too many points. Unless you think a team is going to literally get shut out to lay with such a short total. I think the Titans defense keeps this game close and certainly within a touchdown. Here's another stat for you to cap off this handicap. The, the totals of under 47 in the NFL this season, the the underdog, excuse me, let me rephrase. When there's a total under 47 and there is an underdog of a field goal or more in that game, the underdog is 71, 40, 71 and 46, a 61% win rate this season. Um, the Titans game is well under 40, well below 47, and they are an underdog of almost an entire touchdown. This has got to be the no-brainer pick of the week. I'm putting at least two units on the Titans to cover this one. My first pick here in the best back gauntlet for the final week, I'm going to take the Los Angeles Rams going on the road to play me, the yeah, I thought you were Seattle. saying Chargers, and I was like, you can't, <laughs> cannot end on the Chargers. They've been the team that has been your your poison pill all season long. Well, we'll see. I got four more picks after this. Oh, but I'm no. Going to be I better going with the other Yikes. Uh, Los Angeles team here who is going once again on the road against the Seahawks. Listen, the Rams have won eight of the last 11 against the Seahawks here. And the Seahawks uh, have been well documented down the stretch here of just being a team that has kind of lost a little bit of their identity and they've kind of been reeling uh, down the stretch here and looking more and more like they're going to miss, miss those playoffs. So that's why I like Baker and whoever plays quarterback in this game um, to come out there and effort. Maybe we. No, I, that's my. That's, hat time? that's the tinfoil hat time, okay. which I would hope okay. would happen. Okay. But even if it is Baker, he's looked very impressive. That Rams team has kind of found a little bit of life on offense with a revitalized Cam Akers. I think they're going to put up some points. Also, not to mention, this Rams team had a very bad loss last week against the Chargers. And teams coming off a loss of 17 or more are 102-65-4 against the spread, which is good for just over 60%. I like the Rams this week to keep it close. Give me them plus six and a half. Love that handicap, betting that one with you for sure. With my second overall pick, I'm going to ride with the Cleveland Browns getting three points as a dog in Pittsburgh. The Steelers have the they they have faced not a cupcake schedule in the past month or so, but they've faced some really advantageous defenses, and that's made Kenny Pickett and company on the offensive side of the ball for the Steelers look, I think, a little bit better than they may be. The, the, the Steelers are by far the lowest ranked defense, by the way, in their past five that the Cleveland Browns have faced. The, the Browns and their uh, their new midseason quarterback, Sean Watson, 
have seen three top 10 defenses in the past three weeks, including a 40 mile per hour wind game against the Ravens. That is not going to be the case at all with this Pittsburgh team. Uh, they, the, the Browns coaching staff has, well, the Browns coaching staff and players really ha- have been very vocal about, and this is a quote from them this week, living for times like these to have a chance to knock off the Steelers. They're not going to roll over in this game even though they have already been eliminated last week. I also think the Steelers might have finally, you know, reached the point in Mike Tomlin's career that that he's going to have a losing season after all, even though it, it kind of seems that the universe literally bends around the need to give Mike Tomlin a winning season each and every year. I think this is the one in which he finally comes up just short. Give me the Browns getting three points against the Pittsburgh Steelers. My second pick here, I'm going to take another one uh, here going on the West Coast, and I'm going to take the Las Vegas Raiders getting nine and a half points at home versus the Kansas City Chiefs. And look, we know that how iffy Patrick Mahomes has been against the spread. He loves to win football games, but hates to cover them. Uh, This season in their last 10 games, the Chiefs are 2-7-1, and and I expect this here for Jared Stidham and these Las Vegas Raiders who have have a little bit of life and look to put up some points here. Going to keep it closer than that 9.5 spread. I also am just rooting to see anybody besides Kansas City take that one seed this week. So give me the Las Vegas Raiders plus 9.5. All right, I like that one with my third overall pick in the Week 18 Best Bet Gauntlet. I'm going to take Carolina. I mean, the Panthers getting three and the hook, plus three and a half at New Orleans. Listen, this is a meaningless game for both of these teams. And no defense has improved maybe more and more quietly in the past couple of weeks than the New Orleans Saints defense. They've improved, and it's really been what has kept them afloat in these recent games. It's really the reason they beat the Eagles last week. Defense scored a touchdown uh, of the 20 points the Saints scored. But it's in particular been the Saints passing defense that's been so improved. Their running defense is still just 19th. Uh, They are 19th in run DVOA as a team. And Carolina wants to run on you, man. They run like the devil when they can face a team that cannot protect against the run and that's what we saw against the motor city kitties just uh two weeks ago yeah two weeks ago they uh they they set historic running numbers for a half i think they had over 200 yards of rushing by halftime it was insanity they had multiple 100 yard rushers uh in running backs that's what this carolina team wants to do and i think that they will be able to against new orleans I think these teams are actually a lot closer right now than people might think. I think that Carolina is as good, if not slightly better than the Saints. That's why I think Carolina getting the field goal and the hook is just too delicious to pass up. With my third pick here, I'm going to do something that uh, might be a little ugly this week, but I'm going to take one of the teams here tied for one of the biggest spreads on the week, and that's going to be the Arizona Cardinals going into San Francisco. And this is really more of a Cliff Kingsbury bet than it is anything else. And, you know, this might be the farewell tour of Cliff Kingsbury. Maybe we say goodbye to him. But Kingsbury is 17-5-2 as a road underdog. And also he's 16-3-1 against the spread 
against all coaches who have yet to win a Super Bowl. But you take that stat, you want to look into it. The coach that he is facing who hasn't won a Super Bowl is Kyle Shanahan, in which he's 3-1-1 against the spread against Kyle Shanahan. I think also here that this is a game that is one of these that might play a little bit of spoiler this week. I'm looking for them to keep it closer than the 14, maybe in Cliff Kingsbury's final game coaching the Cardinals. Maybe they can even flirt with a win here. Cliff will absolutely be, you'd think, desperately flailing and coaching for his life over there in in Arizona. And I think that you're right, this probably is the last game that we see Cliff Kingsbury coach until he's, I don't know, offensive coordinator at Texas. We'll see. Um, my fourth overall pick in the best bet gauntlet for week 18. Going back to the well, unfortunately, I bet him last week lost money. I'm going again, though, and I, I really am feeling strongly about this one. Be the Colts minus two and a half hosting the Houston Texans. Listen, here's the thinking here. Lovey Smith, head coach of the Houston Texans, is one of the only guys in the entire league that has ever openly tanked before. Google Sean Payton tanking. If you go look, Sean Payton has been interviewed on the record multiple times and has testified to the fact that in 2014, Lovey Smith with the Buccaneers was openly tanking their last game, sabotaging the game via play calling, pulling their starters way too early to the point that the coaches around him and his coaching staff were thinking, what is going on? Why are we doing this? Well, did they know he was openly trying to lose in order to get the first overall pick over the Titans, by the way, who ended up at second with Marcus Mariota to get Jameis Winston. And, and so we've seen the Bears already softly tank before the week's even begun by starting Nathan Peterman over a too hurt to play uh, Justin Fields. I think that the the Lovey Smith Texans are going to realize this and know that they have to kind of match the Bears here. They have to lose this game in order to keep the first overall pick in the draft that the Texans do. And I think, frankly, the Colts are just too dumb to tank this game to improve their pick. Jeff Saturday is reportedly a serious candidate to keep the head coaching job, so he's not going to be throwing this game. I think that Lovey Smith on the other sideline will be, though. So I don't love Indy to win by three, but I love Houston to lose by three. Give me Indy to cover the two minus two and a half. With my fourth pick here in the uh, best bet gauntlet offer this last week, I'm going to go with the Motor City Kitties getting plus four and a half here. Look at you manifesting this Detroit this Detroit birth into the playoffs. I, I, think, I think it would be perfect. You, you know, bet, you bet what needs to happen for them to even have a chance in Seattle losing to the Rams. And now you're betting them to, to cover. Are you, exactly. would, you, would you go as far as to say win outright JT? I, I would, I would love to see them win outright and, you know, maybe be the reason I cap off uh, a miraculous win over you in the season long gauntlet here. Imagine the, the Detroit Lions winning, getting to the Super Bowl or not Super Bowl, but the playoffs. Imagine, but, no, but imagine, win, imagine Motor City Dan in the Super Bowl. That's a I fun imagination. Super Bowl I like here it. In the best bet gauntlet by going 4 1 or 5 0 or something this week. This but this is right. basically my most going off five to pick this week because I think that despite we if, love a if the Seahawks win that game in the early slot, I don't think uh, Dan Campbell is going to throw away this game. They know that they have a chance here to pick, play spoiler. And I don't think they're going to give that up. I think this division primetime game is going to be very, very close. I think that the Detroit offense surprisingly has a little bit more firepower than this uh, Green Bay offense right now. 
and I'm just going to think this game is going down to a field goal, so give me Detroit getting more than a field goal. I like it. I like it, and with my fifth overall pick in the fifth and final overall pick, what end of, end of a season, end of an era, in the 28, 2018, not 2018, what, week <laughs> eight, the week 18, uh, 2022 best bet gauntlet, my fifth overall pick is going to be to ride into the future with Russ and the Broncos. Give me Denver minus two and a half as they travel to play the Los Angeles Chargers. They have zero incentive to tank. The Broncos picks belong to the Seattle Seahawks in exchange for that guy, Russell Wilson, and the danger witch to come into town. I think that losing Nate Hackett last week seemingly helped the offense in that game. Who could have guessed? Nate Hackett, not an actual good coach, just bad trade bait for Aaron Rodgers. And I think Denver has been the one of, if not the sneakiest winning teams, ATS, in the past month and change. They are 4-1 against the spread in their last five games, the Broncos are. And the Chargers, listen, they're not going to want to give away anything in this game. They've got their position pretty locked up. I especially love this line if the Ravens lose earlier in the day because that means truly the Chargers do not have anything to play for. They are locked into their playoff position. And I think the Bengals beating the Ravens earlier in the day is a pretty high likelihood. So I love Denver to cover this minus two and a half. And for unironically, Russ and his Broncos that he's going to be stuck with for the foreseeable future to end on a pretty high note. With the with my fifth and the final pick of this season, I'm going to give you guys uh, send off you listeners with one final lesson here uh, and what we've learned this season. That's Old follow Uncle the JT's money. About got a lesson for everybody. Follow Gather the money around. and uh, follow the sharps where they're putting their money. And this week, a lot of the sharps are putting it on the Commanders at plus seven Ooh. here. Listen, the bet uh, differential right now: fifty-two percent of all bets for the for this game are on the Commanders, but a whopping seventy-eight percent of the money is on the Commanders, which is one of the top five this week, I believe, um, in, in in terms of percentage between uh, overall bets and where the money is placed. So a lot of Sharps are putting big money here on the Commanders uh, to at least keep it close and maybe play spoiler to some uh, Cowboys hopes and dreams here down the stretch. And I, why wouldn't you, even though... <laughs> Ron Rivera didn't know that he was eliminated from playoff contention last week. He had no idea, week. man. He's just um, out here playing ball. I, I think he's going to continue to just want to play ball. Um, so give me the commanders. All right, I like it. That's our final picks in the 2022 Best Bet Gauntlet. And we hope to go 10-0 this week as, as a show to end on, in a bang. In recap, JT on the heels of a 4-1 week is going with the Los Angeles Rams plus 6 at Seattle. The Las Vegas Raiders plus 9.5 versus the Chiefs, Arizona plus 14 at San Francisco, Detroit plus four and a half at Green Bay, and Washington, I don't have it written down here, what's their spread? Plus seven. Washington plus seven against the Dallas Cowboys. The five picks for Easton this week off of his one and four week, but looking to continue to make some money, get back on the horse here. I've got Tennessee plus six and a half at Jacksonville, Cleveland plus three at Pittsburgh, Carolina plus three and a half at New Orleans, Indianapolis minus two and a half versus the Texans and Denver minus two and a half versus the Los Angeles Chargers. 
that's going to do it for this show. And uh, before you go, just got to remind the folks at home, JT, you have got to go subscribe, man. What are you doing listening to this show a la carte? Going and picking and choosing your individual podcasts. Quit being ridiculous. Just subscribe to the show. And every time we put out a show, it will be hand-delivered to you in a nice, comfortable, easy-to-open package. Please subscribe and then scroll to the bottom, whether you're subscribed on Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, rather, or Spotify. Just scroll to the bottom of the podcast feed. Look for the five stars across your screen. Click the furthest star so you highlight all of them and then leave a review. Type right below whatever you'd like for us to hear. We will read it on air. We'd love to hear from you guys. It takes 10 seconds to leave a five-star review and it means so, so, so much more to us than it does to you. I promise it's very, very helpful for us to sell the show, which we're looking to do right now. All right, JT, we got the big game Saturday night. We will be recording our reaction to that game probably live Saturday night for Broadway Insiders on broadwaysportsmedia.com, and we will have that show up first thing Sunday morning uh, to recap what happened in the Titans' final regular season game of the year, potentially regular or potentially last game of the year if they don't pull it out. We'll have all the reaction and more on Sunday morning for you. Until then, for producer JT, I am your host, Easton Freeze. This has been the Hot Read Podcast. We will talk to you in a couple of days. One final thing here, let's talk about how dominant this Titans Russian rushing defense has been all season. They and- have a Russian defense? <laughs> God, okay. <laughs>